0: You're listening to a DM podcast.
1: Now, my role is to do, I ring up businesses and I ask them, look, I'm a volunteer for Seeing Eye Dog of, of Australia. Would you like to have a collection dog money box on your counter to raise money for, for seeing eye dogs, train up new seeing eye dogs to help us become more independent? And me taking my dog in there, they actually see where the money's going the moment. Is it a big he... That blood pressure is not
0: coming up.. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast.
1: My name is Kira Lee Dagen from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Rajri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge elders, past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be.
0: The mission of the Royal Flying Doctor Service has always been to bring health care to those that don't have access to services. We talk of rural and remote Australia a lot, but we don't talk a lot about disability and how that can be a challenge when it comes to accessing health services. My guest in this podcast, Philip Chalker, has a genetic condition that has impacted his eyesight since he was young. He's now 46 and blind, and he reached out to me recently as he's been listening to the Flying Doctor podcast. He's been transported by road by the RFDS several times, and he lives in regional Victoria and was really pleased that he was able to bring his seeing eye dog along for those trips. Philip lives by himself with his seeing eye dog, Sally, and is very independent, and I'm really thankful that he reached out to me and agreed to have a chat. G'day, Philip.
1: G'day, how are you? I'm really good. First, how did you come to hear about the Flying Doctor podcast? I think I came across it either on Facebook or someone told me about it.
0: Have you listened to very many of the episodes yet?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've listened to all of them now. So, do you have a favourite? Yeah, the one about it, the one about the child getting eaten by a snake. Never thought that could happen. <laughs> That's one of my favourites too. <laughs> when I when I actually spoke to somebody from the, I spoke to someone from wildlife, thinking, can that really happen? You know, was, uh, obviously it does. So you were so, fact checking me? <laughs> no, no, not fact checking No, not fact checking you like that. I have a friend who worked for wildlife, and she's dealt with snakes, and she's dealt with kangaroos, she's dealt with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, she actually told me a way that that child could have been released very easy. Snake's jaws go backwards, right, like what you said on the podcast. Uh, yeah. One of the guests told you. And the way they could have released that was she would some water down its throat, the snake's throat, and the arm would have came out very easy. Oh, wow. Oh, that's
0: fascinating. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. There you go. Learn something new every day. You live in regional Victoria, Philip. Whereabouts do you live?
1: In Trelgan. And where's that? Trelgan is... um is based in Gippsland, but Gippsland's a very huge area. you got Sale, we've got Bansdale. Phillip Island is a big history one, I'll know. So it's all about around the coastlines of those. Right. So, yeah.
0: Have you lived there for a long time?
1: Yeah, since 2009. Yeah.
0: Have you lived there long enough that you know every crevice and every wall and every hallway, and um, or do you, do you still find that you
1: occasionally bump into things? Only if I've got my head down looking at my phone while I'm walking around, I might bump into the walls, but no, otherwise, I, otherwise I know my way around the house fine.
0: Okay, that's great. Could you explain what your genetic eye condition is called and how it's impacted your eyesight?
1: My eye condition is called retinitis pigmentosa. It's a big word, and everybody knows it as RP in the medical industry and how it impacted me. I went through life not identif- not able to see things correctly, not able to see things long distance. I was lucky. I could still see a little bit of colour. I could still write growing up. Got to the time where I can write, write on normal paper like everybody else. But my lines might have needed, the, the lines on a paper might have been a bit, needed to be a bit thicker than when you write on normal paper. It was just basically hard in life. It, it, it was like... Seeing shadow, blur, 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 vision all the time. Right, You're like looking through, like looking through a needle hole. So, can you imagine getting a sewing needle and holding it up against your eye, like or a straw, and trying to see everything through a straw or a needle hole? Yeah, and, and you got no central vision, all you got is a side vision only. So, I don't know if I get onto it yet, but the disadvantage was that was that is, when having interviews and all that kind of stuff, I, I was never able to look at people properly because I always have my head turned to the side because that's, no, that's no central vision, like I was saying. Right. You can see from the side.
0: So you grew up with that. Was it a challenge as a young child to grow up with this vision impairment and so not have the same sight capability that all your peers had?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, you know, because um, there's so much challenges. I mean, you can't see the whiteboard, you can't see the blackboard, you've got to get special aid teachers. if People used to pick on me kids can be so cruel and
0: thoughtless so I went unfortunately through life,
1: so i went through life getting punched up bashed and all getting called four eyes lots of stuff like this accessibility is a big main one too not a, not able to read websites properly so
0: you were talking about um challenges and bullying when you were at school um were you in a just a regular normal school at you know Kids go to, or did you end up having to go to a, a school that had that could better cater to your needs?
1: No, I, it was my choice to go to a primary school and a normal high school. Did get asked about a special school, but I didn't look at myself. I didn't look at myself as a special person. I looked at myself I'm a person just like you. Yeah, just with eye, just with eye conditions.
0: Yeah, when I went to high school, Philip, um, here in Canberra, there was a young girl in my year um, who was fully blind and she had a stick and she had a braille machine. She was so impressive. Uh, she went to all the classes with everybody um, other than sport, which she didn't attend, but she went to every other class and she had a braille machine and so forth. And she could really hold her own. Like it was it was quite incredible, the strength of character that she had because of the challenges she had uh, just in doing normal, everyday things that we take for granted do you feel the same has occurred for you, that you are have ended up a very strong uh, and persistent character as a consequence of, of having to go through
1: school in that way? Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's, it, that's why I say I look back at it now and saying whatever word you want to use, they were just little clowns picking on me at the time. You know what I mean? They never understood and all that kind of stuff. They might see you years later and say, do you remember, do you remember us picking on you years ago? I go, yeah, with a smile on my face and look back at them now and saying, you know, yeah. well, it's nice meeting you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> with a sense of humour.
0: So when you um, were growing up and, and you were in primary school, did you know that your site was almost a temporary thing or was going to be continually deteriorating? Was that something you grew up knowing?
1: Yeah, it actually, if I can just go back a fraction, RP, RP actually goes over time too. So I knew that retinitis pigmentosa, I'm going to eventually lose my sight to the point I'm not able to see photos of that anymore and where I can't write on paper anymore. So I'm lucky I got to see colours and all that before it deteriorated. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I've wondered, do you think that having been able to see as a young child, even if it was limited or in, um, in a smaller capacity than everybody else, is it a benefit or is it the opposite? Is it just that it makes you miss it more or is it that because you've actually had sight, some sight at one point, you then able to piece together and I guess imagine in your mind's eye where you are and what things look like and what those sounds represent and so forth?
1: Yeah, I've actually I've actually learned because I've had sight. Now I've lost my sight. I can walk into someone. Like, I can walk into something like spotlight because I love doing my art and craft, and I can just go. I can make something out of that. I can make something. That's just and that's just not seeing an object. Not seeing maybe just seeing things in the past. Yeah, and it's like it's like my mind seeing pictures in my head now. Yeah, from having sight.
0: Yeah, so it's your mind's eye. Yeah, my mind's gone more
1: creative. Yeah. Well,
0: oh, that's amazing. And and your senses are all your other senses heightened now as a consequence of losing your sight.
1: Yeah, we get we get also we get taught that too while using a cane and a dog because there's lots of stuff that you have to yeah, there's have lots of stuff that you have to try to oh is that a bakery? Was oh, that a butcher? Or is that a <laughs> you know <laughs> and all that so yeah they do have distinctive smells. Trying to listen to multiple things at the one time, too, so, and, and that, which I'm pretty skilled at in a way, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, how long have you been using a seeing eye dog? I've been using a seeing eye dog since uh, 2007, up to my third one now. And what was your first one called? My long term ones, the uh, first one was named Kransky, named after a sausage. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> and, and how long did you have Kransky for?
1: I've had Kransky since 2007 to 2013. Wow. And I've had – and then the next one after that was Roddy from 2013 to 21. Roddy was the one who experienced going on a flying doctor service.
0: And and now you have Sally, and Sally you've had since the beginning of the year.
1: I had Sally since the beginning of this year, yeah. Yeah. So so you bonded with Kransky. Me and Kransky was a match as a lovely golden retriever and – and, yeah, we matched fine. So I haven't had any problems with matching with any of my dogs so far.
0: Wow. And so was life with Kransky really different? Was it liberating for you to be able to now have a, a seeing-eye dog, to be able to get around? Did you start to go out more and and so forth?
1: Yeah, that's when my life changed for the best then because because um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, using my cane and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't have to uh, – it felt like oh, – it's freedom, you know what I mean? It's 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 your version of driving a car. I can go solo now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I can understand that totally.
1: That so we have to learn to use our canes first before we can actually get a dog. Right. So if you don't know your cane fully, you have to get up. You have to get up the stand of that first. And for a great sense of humor, I like what I say is. It's like it's like having your owls my owls are using my cane first yep and then the trainer then the trainer comes along next to me with my cane so then you're moving on to your peas of your cane okay once you know your peas of your cane you go solo <laughs> then once they give the option you go solo you start again now you're getting a your dog so right you get the dog you go you got your learners so the just trainers with you he's hooked on with a lead he's got a lead hooked onto your dog while walking with you yeah then he'll walk behind you, so you, you start graduating to your L's, and then the 25th of January is my P's. So is I said that because that's when I got Sally. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: That's great. Graduation. So Sally, who's there with you now, where is she at the moment
1: as we're doing this interview? She's she's sitting next to me with a good girl with her harness on. I don't usually have her on in a harness for the house, but still being a young dog, and she loves her daddy, she wants my attention, either just either like a bottle to her, she like, and you don't want that in the background. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for listeners, if you hear anything in the background, that could be Sally. She, she may be a little vocal as we're doing this interview. Now, Philip, how do you spend your time then? Do you uh, do any kind of paid work or volunteer work?
1: A long time since 2014, right up until now. Any time out of the blue, it's not full-time work, but I'm a ukulele teacher. So I do teach people as far as, all over Australia and that's going on Skype. I don't have to see them as long as they can see me. That's brilliant!
0: Um, how many people have you taught to play the ukulele?
1: I've taught people as far as New Zealand, That's just on uh, using FaceTime on a Mac. A good thing about using Apple devices uh, online. Don't know how many online, but offline, yeah. I've even had people drop into Torauken, where I live, from New Zealand once, and said, "Look, we would like some short lessons. I can get them up to I can get them up to a group standard. Yep, and and um, they go back happy playing in a group." Or well, some of them are just local people from my own area wanting to learn. But then I also get into community teaching, which is eight people at the one time, which gets more challenging. But once you learn how to do it and get everybody to let them know that I'm blind, we'll go around the table one by one each time or the session one by. It's easy done. So so that's
0: amazing. How long have you been playing the ukulele?
1: I've been playing since 2012.
0: Wow. And you play guitar as well?
1: Um, Yeah, I do play guitar. I have, I have written a song about my dog. <laughs>
0: Well, that's amazing. And so you do ukulele lessons. Have you ever done any other kind of employment or other kind of work or volunteering?
1: I'm currently doing, um, it's called the Collection Dog Program with Seeing Eye Dogs Australia where you get a mini money box and you go and place them in stores. Yep. Now my role is to do, I ring up businesses and I ask them, look, I'm a volunteer for Seeing Eye Dog of, of Australia. Would you like to have a Collection Dog money box on your counter? to raise money for, for seeing eye dogs, train up new seeing eye dogs to help us become more independent. And me taking my dog in there, they actually see what the money, where the money is going. When I say, you, you know, training up new seeing eye dogs to help me and other people who are blind or visually impaired.
0: That's fabulous. And that must be really fulfilling for you to go
1: around and meet different people and talk to them and introduce them to Sally. Yeah, it is because they actually get to see Sally too so they know where their money actually going instead of me just walking in there with no dog.
0: Now, how do you uh, actually read screens and um, computers and Facebook and all this sort of stuff? How does it work, Philip?
1: I have a thing called a screen reader and a screen reader is, the way I explain it, let your fingers do the walking in your phone or Whatever do the talking. So in other words, I run my fingers across the screen, and it'll actually read it out to me. Little when it, when you see your normal little keypad come up, it'll everything everything talks.
0: Wow! On my phone. Wow!
1: Within the last couple of days, I've just seen a new new feature come out where a picture can be described fully now, but otherwise, screen readers usually usually can only read text only.
0: That's okay. That makes sense. Now tell me about your laser surgery a short while ago. So you had. Sight in one eye and no sight in the other eye, and you had to go in for laser surgery, and that was going to be challenging, wasn't it? Because you once you had the laser surgery, you would have no sight at all, and that's how you yeah. ended up being essentially transported by the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I've had it. I've had my one. I've had my eye condition right up until twenty one. That's when I started. That's when I got the laser treatment done in twenty one. Yep. And um having no family in my life now, meaning. To come all the way from Horsham, someone from Specsavers. I had look at my eye and said, "Look, there's a lot of scarring and that's going on, and all this kind of stuff. Dark glasses or that wouldn't help. The only way that I could get you to the hospital because I don't think it's just anything that a normal ambulance can take you because it wasn't an emergency. Yeah, they got me. They, they, the flying doctors, flying doctor service. I didn't really know it was a flying doctor services until I heard him. Because I thought it was just a little, just yeah. a little um patient van or whatever, because I didn't know until I said, no, we, we actually we actually can be hooked up with the ambulance service too. They call the Flying Doctors for you to take you out to Melbourne.
0: That's great. A lot of people don't know that the Royal Flying Doctor Service has a really vast road service fleet. Yeah, exactly. T- particularly yeah. in Victoria. Uh, I think it's something like 100 and something vehicles down there in Victoria that perform a really important vital role in taking people to specialist care or to hospitals, people who can't travel for whatever reason. It might be health conditions, it might be age, it might be sight, it might be whatever. And so they actually play this really important role of transporting non-emergency patients to where they need to go and then getting them back home again. And so that's that's how you ended up um, being transported.
1: Do you remember being picked up? Yeah, it worried me first thing and I'm, 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 I'm all on my own. What's going to happen at the next end? Are they going to stay with me, or what's the idea? Because once you dump a blind person, just you know, anywhere, I'm not going to know where the operation. So they yeah. they took me to the they took me yeah they took me all away. They stayed with me, and no no stress at all. You know they look they they just got me comfortable and said look if you can if you let us know let us know how you are on the way and all this kind of stuff. If you need anything, yeah, just let us know. Would you like a drink of water? Would you like this? Yeah. And they actually did their best to, you know, the dog can lay down here next to you on the floor. Yeah. And yeah. That's great. Yeah, I actually, I actually used them a, four, a couple of times before the surgery because to, to, find out what to, think, to find out what my issues were first. So I had the flying doctor's um, bus help me about a couple of times. It was probably three times within a year. I was going back and forwards because they wanted me to have regular checks from the, um, from the main hospital in Melbourne, which was hard for me to get to. Yeah. I was grateful at each time. They came, so there's no way that you'd be able to actually make your way there, right? Would that
0: Would you have to get on a train, or what would you do?
1: Yeah, I could get on a I could get on a train, but then can you imagine trying to manage a dog at the same time? My my eyes are painting, um, yeah, and always kind of you're in comfort, you know what I mean? And I'm 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 am t- talking to the point where my eyes were either belly stinging or, or yeah.
0: Now, when you, I have a question, Philip. So if I had to go to the doctors or get some surgery, and I've got in you know, um, some sort of pharmaceuticals, and I'm supposed to take on a regular basis or or not. I can easily read the label on on those medicines. Know when I have to take them. Know what I have to do. How does that? How do you do that if you don't have vision?
1: Well, I, I, it really depends because what uh, be, uh, why I'm in the hospital. They're trying to if they go to read it out to me. They go look. Unfortunately, um, because I can't see because, um. You'd be amazed on how accessible some of the hospitals are to not accessible at all. You know, you think that I'm in a hospital, you think they'll think of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but they never did. And while I was there I, at the hospital, I actually said to the nurses, you can tell me all you like how many I'm going to take a day, but, but the state that I'm in at the moment, I'm not going to remember. Are you able to write it down, please, in my phone so my screen reader can read it, like, you know, the name of the drops, but then the problem is then okay it's the name of the drops but what what drops are what? So what I use is I use a little velcro a little velcro thing that you have on shoes or, or um, the
0: little velcro spots.
1: If I have to take a half a, if I need to take a half a drop or something or a full drop to, to identify them I'll put one on one and um, one on the other. But then if it comes to where you have got to have two drops during the day, on the side of the bottle, I will put two little straight lines of those, two little straight lines of those Velcros. Mm. So that means I feel that and I know to have two, two like that, okay? Yeah. And if the, if the other drops is only one drop a day, I'll just put one on there.
0: Yeah, so you've set up systems so that it can work and so that you can yeah. you can figure it uh, yeah, out. Yeah,
1: or, or there's an app called Be My Eyes, which, which, which can also help. Uh, yeah.
0: Mm. So tell me, Philip, what would a day in the life of you be like? What sort of things keep you entertained? And are you out regularly with Sally?
1: Well, it, it really depends on the weather too. I mean, dogs like rain, but I don't. Um, nobody wants to get wet, even though we've got a jacket and um. But otherwise, my day, in my life is waking up in the morning, taking her for walks around my streets, town, and and all that kind of stuff. Because I because I don't because I'm not studying that anymore and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's basically roots like. Come on, if I need to go to the bank or the post office and, and all that. So, yeah. Good. And then you said that you're not studying anymore. What were you studying? That was, that's was that been my biggest achievement in my life was my Diploma of Community Services. Oh, that's fabulous. I am a support worker but not a support worker like taking people out of the community. I'm an advocacy support worker. Oh, that's great. When did you finish that? I finished that in 2000. And my, I received my certificate in 2021. Well done. Congratulations on that. Thank you.
0: So do you have any other pastimes you were talking about craft? Could you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Um, I've, now called, I've now created a Facebook call, Facebook page called The Blind Creator. On there you'll actually see cups that I make out of clay, doing clay work. I actually make things out of icy pole sticks. I make necklaces for, uh, for women, necklaces and bracelets, and all that kind of stuff um with the clay work i just went out of my head and just started molding everything okay philip what does a kangaroo look like i started molding a kangaroo what does a koala look like i molded a koala and you know just to really test my really test my thing out um they might they might not be very smooth and all that kind of stuff but but over time my um clay work's getting really good now to the point where they're smooth so and i also make things out of icy pole sticks and all that so yeah
0: Oh, that's great! And where do you put it or keep it, or
1: what happens to it's it? it's all put away at the moment because I'm looking into I'm looking into putting it all together, especially the pinch pots. I've probably got probably got about twenty pinch pots put away, and hopefully try to go to a market and sell them. Oh, that's great! Look, thank you
0: so much for reaching out to me, Philip. It's been really great to meet you, and I feel really privileged to have had this conversation and learn a bit about your life and to meet Sally. It's been really nice.
1: Thank you. I'm, thinking, I'm just going to say thank you to the Royal Flying Doctors Road. I don't know what you call them, Road. Road Service. For taking me back and forwards during November. So I appreciate it. And um, everybody out there, doesn't matter what your disability is, do not please, please do not say you can't do it because you can do it. Great message. Not what you can't do is what you can do. Thank you so much, Philip. Thank you. Thanks for listening.
0: Word of mouth is always the best promotion for a podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast or a specific story, please share with family and friends. If you haven't already, join our Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community. And you can also send feedback, questions or comments to me directly at lana.mitchell at rfds.org.au. Donations to support the Royal Flying Doctor Service can always be made through our website at flyingdoctor.org.au flying doctor podcast was presented by me lana mitchell and senior producer is mandy Cullen.